Hey, welcome to the Signal podcast. I'm Nibal Snan. And I'm Miguel Santamaria. We're journalists from the University of King's College School of Journalism. Today, we're featuring our final work from the eight week audio bootcamp. That's right. And you can follow us on Twitter at Signal Radio HFX, but not in real life. That'd be a little bit creepy. Anyway, here we go. Cannabis? More like cantabis, says one Halifax business owner. He's promoting a model he says could be a solution for taking cannabis off the street, but would still give users a safe space. Carmel Gilina has more. Don't forget to lick it before it gets in there. With yeah. Canada in the early days of cannabis legalization, Chris Henderson is hoping to be a pot trailblazer. Once you got her licked, she should be good. This High Life Social Club owner has worked for a couple of decades to educate Haligonians on the benefits of cannabis for both medical and recreational use. Henderson wants to keep city approval to allow people to smoke at his club. He says the new smoking bylaw could cause problems for many pot users. It's going to take more than a few smoking areas to change people's impression of cannabis. A few little stickers that say we can smoke wherever isn't really necessary for us. He says not smoking on the street is something most cannabis users are used to. And while Henderson supports government involvement, he'd like to see more business opportunities for people like him. They're missing the opportunity to create an industry that, that allows for the recreational or social use of cannabis. I think having this really will help to create safer use between people, more responsible use, and, and just make it a lot more uh, fun. Halifax City Councilor Lindell Smith says that Henderson's business model might be up for debate. He says this depends on how other bylaws change with cannabis legalization. Secondhand smoke is an issue, and if you're in that business to consume, I guess it wouldn't be a problem. It is something that is legal now. I know with the provincial rules, smoking tobacco is illegal in any business on the indoors, so I don't know if there'd be any issues with cannabis in the same light. Still, Henderson feels more safe spaces, like his social club, will make legalization more successful for everyone. For The Signal, I'm Carmen Galena. All right, awesome. Well, here's another man with plenty to say. Gary Burrell is the leader of the Nova Scotia NDP. In the last few years, he has publicly criticized the Liberal government's policies with somewhat unique remarks. Emma Wilkie has been following the pattern. I think this is a load of disingenuous manure. You're, you're absolutely right. There's nothing no. I mean, it's a self-congratulatory orgy of zeros. It provides a sense, rather, of a, a woodpile full of weasels. Heard enough? because Gary Burrell is just getting started. This is uh, dense, dumb, and stupid. As the leader of the Nova Scotia NDP, Burrell has to make sure everything he says hits hard. An awful lot of political discourse now is just blah, blah, blah. It's a cliche with the memory of reality sucked out of it. But be it in a scrum, a newsroom, or in a one-on-one interview, Burrell overflows with carefully chosen aphorisms. Words matter. Words really do matter. Words deserve a certain attention to cadence and rhythm. The whole poetic sensibility of language has been sucked out of political discourse. Premier Stephen McNeil was contacted and declined to comment. But whether you follow Gary's argument or not, 
he does stick in people's minds. You know, you don't hear the word orgy thrown around a lot down at Province House, I suppose. Michael Gorman is well accustomed in the Garyisms. He's the primary political reporter for the CBC in Halifax. That kind of language gets people's ears to perk up. People notice that more than somebody who's just doing a lot of ums and ahs and perhaps traditional partisan rhetoric. Burrell says he's never been satisfied with lifeless debate. Advocating for social change needs strong language. Sounds like I'm an expert on rodents and crap. (laughs) From the source itself. For The Signal, I'm Emma Wilkie in Halifax. Well, the Nova Scotia film industry was dealt an orgy of zeros back in 2015. Major tax credit changes dealt a heavy blow, and many workers left for more reliable prospects out west. But one young local filmmaker still sees enough creative potential in the industry to stay. Miguel Santamaria has more. Imagine two childhood friends crossing paths in the rain. But one of them has changed. He always seemed thinner, lost. It's a scene from the short film Passage, showing at film festivals in the region. It's written and directed by young filmmaker Henry Collin. It's his most personal film yet, based off his own childhood in Eastern Passage. But it might never have happened. Collin considered moving to Vancouver. I thought, I don't want to have to start over completely. So it was an option to sort of stay back and be a part of this community because I'm Nova Scotian and I make Nova Scotian stories. Colin also credits a supportive local film community, but it's one that the controversial film tax credit cuts of 2015 has chipped away. Industry protests weren't effective. There was an exodus of productions and workers. But film worker advocacy organizations like Screen Nova Scotia are reminding everyone that the province is still open for business. Laura McKenzie is its executive director. She says there's plenty of work to go around, including documentaries, mentorships, and other niche productions. She says that's why Colin's decision to stay is so important. The fact of the matter is, is that our industry is advancing. It is increasing at this point, and we are beyond our capacity. So we need crew, we need cast, we need filmmakers here that are developing their skills. Whatever the prospects, Colin isn't going anywhere. If anything, the changes to the industry have only driven him to work harder. And it's not just him. Since the whole cut, there's been a much more independent voice coming out of here. Something different has happened, and people have been making things, scraping films together, you know, making really amazing, creative, devastating work. And if there's one thing that's kept any film industry going, it's a little imagination. For The Signal... I'm Miguel Santamaria. So, funny story. I am also Miguel Santamaria. Wow, small world. (laughs) Although I gotta say, this guy sounds a lot better than I do. Uh, But anyway, I digress. Here's some new technology. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Naval. (laughs) Anyway, uh, here's some new technology being developed in medicine. A Dalhousie professor is using a new brain monitoring technology in research that aims to improve stroke patient recovery. And the results could one day improve outcomes for patients. Robin Simon has more. There's nothing comfortable about being inside an MRI machine. It's a tight space, then there's a sound. But what if it was silent, and you're just sitting in a doctor's office? That's the hope for a new neural sensing device called Near Infrared Spectroscopy, or NEARS. Boot boot up the, the system there. 
Dr. Heather Niedley is a kinesiology professor at Dalhousie University. She just got her hands on the first near system east of Montreal. It's really exciting because it's a lot more cost effective than MRI. NIRS can measure a very similar signal, but the cost of this research-grade system is about $140,000. That's compared to millions of dollars up front. Niedli will be using this technology to study stroke patients as they work to recover motor function. NIRS looks like an old flying cap with sensors on top, connected by wires to a tabletop machine. It's no larger than your home printer. So this took us, with me trying to remember exactly how to set everything up, about three, three to five minutes. That's nothing compared to neurosensing alternatives. And there could be other applications outside of research. Tim Bardwheel is a professor of physics and atmospheric science at Dell. You know, we think that they have the potential to help people recover better and recover more quickly and to get closer to their original baseline. Recovery starts with the brain. But right now, physiotherapists are not able to look at brain activity during treatment. The therapist would be able to say, what you're doing right now is getting the right parts of your brain going. You're activating the correct parts of your brain. Keep doing what you're doing. NIRS may still be in the research phase, but Niedli hopes that within the next five years, it could be helping a variety of patients. For The Signal, I'm Robin Simon in Halifax. And finally... Halligoonians, it just wouldn't be right not to end with a fright. Miguel, we're nearing the end of October, and the spooky season is upon us. That's right, Nabal, it's Halloween. Some people go to costume parties, or if they're like me, they just stay at home, eat candy, have horror movie marathons, because we're old and we're tired. <laughs> anyway, but for some, October is an opportunity to challenge their fears. Yeah, Jean-Vive Rousseau. She's from Cherbourg, Quebec. And she did exactly that. She went on a ghost tour. Here's more on that. It's a cold, windy night in Halifax, Nova Scotia. A night that calls for warm blankets and a hot drink, indoors. But about 30 people are braving the frigid wind on Citadel Hill. They're all here for the ghost tour. My name is Geneviève Rousseau and I'm from uh, Sherbrooke, Quebec. This is her first ghost tour. She read about it on the internet. I heard that it's the second most haunted place in Canada. Rousseau doesn't know what to expect. But one thing's for sure. She wouldn't have come here without her two friends. I want to have people in front of me and behind me because if I feel there's no one behind me, I will feel someone even if it's just in my head. You must <laughs> <Yeah>. die. <laughs> a man in period costume opens a huge metal gate in the wall of the fort. Corporal Marty Johnson is the ghost tour guide. He says he hopes everyone will come out alive. We don't need any more ghosts up here. Corporal Johnson has seen all kinds of reactions to the tour. He says one of the stories he tells sometimes makes people cry. We've even had a uh, group from China one time, and they didn't actually speak any English, uh, but they still left very, very scared. As the spooky season comes closer, more people come to the tours. The guides tell their scary stories by lantern light. I thought it was a big joke. Her family had to restrain her and carry her... An hour and ten minutes later... Jean-Vive is still alive, but shaking from the cold or maybe the adrenaline 
that was so cool and scary at the same time. <laughs> no, but honestly, I'm happy that we were a big group because it's quite scary. The tour runs every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday evenings until October 27th. For The Signal, I'm Nibal Snan. Come on, Abal, that sounds scary. But not as scary as boot camp was here at King's. Well, that's the job. <laughs> <laughs> that was a sample of our work. Hope you liked it. This was Nibal Snan. And I'm Miguel Santa Maria. Stay classy, Halifax. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, follow King's Audio Journalism at Signal Radio HFX. Thank you.